This morning, I was a little hesitant to share a story at the uh, risk of, you know, belittling myself and uh, knocking myself down a couple of pegs on the popularity reputation scale. But I feel like I'm going to share it anyways. Because I've heard that you're supposed to be transparent in church. Amen. And so, one day in the thick of the pandemic, 2020, you know, there was a moment in the day that I'm not so proud of, and I'm sure Natalia's already thinking back to it. Nat and I were both working from home and trying to at least work from home, right? We had Micah at home, daycare is closed, little lamb is canceled, and, you know, we're trying to figure this, all this stuff out. I got meetings, she's got meetings, we, we have to juggle the kid around, and we love them, don't get me wrong, we love being home together, but when you got deliverables and deadlines and things to do, and, and the kid's crying, he wants your attention, it's a little frustrating. And so I was at the stove making a grilled cheese. And when I reached over to clear the counter of an empty cookie rack, the burn was immediate. I guess the rack had been touching the stove somehow, and as you know, you know, metal touches something hot, it, you know, heat transfers, and, and it soaked up the heat of whatever was happening on the stove. And once that pain registered on my hands, I quickly dropped that thing, but that wasn't all I did, I'm sad to say. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but in a flash of anger, I took a swing at my refrigerator. I took a swing at my refrigerator. I guess the overtime and the lack of sleep and the growing uncertainty and then the heavy decisions that I'm making with the board about the fate of all the 20-plus employees at Little Lamb and and the issues and uncertainty about the church and what's going to happen. There's these requirements and those regulations, and people aren't coming. Are they connecting online? Are we going to be able to support and continue um, blessing the missionaries that we are investing in? All of these things were kind of flowing, and the kid is there, and, and the pain is seething in my hand, and... I took a swing at the refrigerator. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of it. And Nat, like, observed the whole thing, and she looked at me as if to say, like, what in the world? (laughs) I know, that's exactly how I was feeling. What in the world? Like, what am I doing? What am I thinking with this? What did my refrigerator do? Like, what does this solve? This doesn't change a thing. It didn't help me make the decisions I need to make. Now my freezer door is dented. Oh my gosh. I spent money to buy that thing. Now everyone who's coming over my house will see, you know, the the, the three little knuckle marks on the freezer. And I've thought about, you know, buffing that thing out and getting it out. But you know what? I left it there as a reminder that, you know, when anger gets a hold of us, we do some irrational things. We can act pretty rationally when anger comes upon us. And by the way, let's, let's just be honest, that was the last time something like that ever happened in my house, okay? I haven't behaved that way since. <laughs> Thank the Lord Jesus Christ. But look around you. Look around you and you'll notice that there's anger displayed everywhere. There's anger all over the place. You go to your social media feeds, it's there. It's pretty much on any comment thread that you can get to, any comment section, whether it's a product, a video, a YouTube. You look at the comment section and you'll find anger just all over the place. You go to the checkout lines 
And God forbid you got to wait for something and, and somebody is being extra, you know, slow or, or the attendant is in training mode and they have no idea what to do and you got an appointment, you got somewhere to be and you know what, you look around, you'll start seeing angers, anger, seething, flaring, growing. Look around, you'll see tempers flaring, you'll see insults flying, you'll, you'll see crude gifts, all right? Those gifs, the ones that you can send and text to people, you'll see those on the common threads. You'll see those in the text messages. You'll see voices rising. You'll, you'll, you'll find out that cancellations are galvanizing. Look around and you see it. And by the way, you don't just see it with those who are outside the church. You see a lot of this in the lives of Christians. Look around, and you see a lot of anger, a lot of insults, a lot of raised voices, a lot of tempers flaring from Christians. From the very people that Jesus says, they shall be known by your love. These people, these people of mine whom shall be known by their love is the ones that we see, I think, sometimes even more anger and frustration. Anybody find that to be the case? Right? We're not immune to anger. But isn't an angry Christian a paradox? Isn't a frustrated, angry, belligerent, warring Christian a paradox? And so... This morning, I want us to consider this topic going a little bit different than my regular mode of expositional. I want to look topically at this situation and take a look at a couple of of different scriptures. We're going to go to a couple of spots, but I want us to just consider these questions. You know, where does this anger come from? Like, where is it? Where, where, Where does it reside? Where does it come from? And more importantly, what do we do about it? How do we deal with it? How do we process it? What do we do to engage with anger? Because Christians are not immune. And right now, look around. We got elections happening. We got, you know, different things happening in the world and, and different nuances of, uh, of life and change and frustration and things that just, almost like a T-ball, tease it up for us to respond in an angry way. And so, what do we do about this? If you're with me, say amen. If you're not, say amen anyways. Hallelujah. Where does this thing come from? See, anger is something that when we look at throughout the scriptures, we we experience within our lives, we can find it that anger is something that starts deep within. It's something that comes and flows out from, from within us. It comes to the surface from inside our hearts. That's why Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon says to us, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the lap of fools. Jesus, when he started talking about such subjects of what's inside, he said this, that evil things come out from our hearts and these are the things that can defile us. Where does this anger come from? Where does frustration come from? It comes from deep within our hearts. That's why the Bible tells us time and time again that we're to watch our heart. Why? Because it's the most deceitful of all things. It tells us that we're supposed to guard our hearts because out of it comes the wellspring of life. We need to be diligent as the the, the writer of Proverbs said, Solomon, guard your heart with all vigilance. Now that word is a word that we don't use often. We don't talk about often. Vigilance. Maybe if you're in the military, you you talk about being vigilant. But you know what? Vigilance is something that we absolutely need to have. God spoke to Cain. He says, watch out. 
For sin is crouching, seeking to consume you. Jesus told Peter, watch out, Satan is around wanting to sift you like wheat. Watch out, the devil is like a roaring lion waiting whom he shall pounce on and devour. We need to be vigilant. Why? Because we have an enemy. We need to be attentive. Do you know that most, I don't know if you've ever played sports. Who's played sports here before? Like organized sports, you've been part of a team, baseball, basketball, football. You know, you've been in pretty much a sports environment. Maybe you've done this as you are trying to get better and improve your game. How many of you have ever watched your reruns? You've watched your past games. I see some hands. You watch your games to try to understand what you did right and what you did wrong. You watch your game so that you figure out um, where there might be an opportunity for improvement. What was a blunder that you committed? You know what? And not only do you watch your games, but most sports teams, they end up watching the games of their opponents. They rewatch the videos. They rewatch the highlights. They rewatch those things so that they can find out a crack in the, in the chink of their armor. They can figure out a strategy and a scheme in which they can go ahead and, and, and orchestrate a win and increase the probabilities so that they can have a win. Well, the enemy goes around like a roaring lion. He seeks to sift us like wheat. He seeks, sin seeks to, to, to come upon us and take over us. The enemy church is also watching our film. The enemy is very good at studying you and I. He is watching every single moment that you had, the good and the bad. He is replaying your life and figuring out how you tick and what ticks you off. The enemy is watching your tape and he is saying, man, next time I get him or her in this scenario, I'm going to raise the temperature right here because he or she cannot handle it right there. Oh, and when they start going down this track right here and they are solid on point, they got the rebuttal, they are being solid. They're not going to succumb to my temptation. I'm going to drop that because that strategy don't work. Let me bring them back over here. The enemy is watching you and he's studied you. He studied you and I, and he is ready. He is waiting, lying in wait with the scheme in order to be able to take us out. And he loves utilizing this tool called anger, this emotion called anger. He loves jumping in on this because he knows if he can get you angry, he can get you to just ruin a lot of things within your life. Through anger, the, the enemy has wreaked havoc upon society. He has break, broken relationships. He has alienated family members. Through anger, he has divided countries. Through anger, he has, you know, caused so that changes in outcomes and products and situations don't even come into existence and to pass because it just burns bridges and destroys chances. He knows what he can do and fulfill through the weapon, the tool of anger. So the enemy is very eager to exploit and provoke your hearts to it. He is very eager to bring upon the carnage that he will wreak through it. He is very, very interested in running full tilt through that door, that door of anger. That's why it tells us in the scriptures that we are to be angry and sin not. Not give the enemy a foothold, an opportunity in order for him 
to do his deed in our life. See, anger is an inside job that is different for each and every one of us. And the things that will take us off and take us there are a myriad of things. But we're going to look at a couple of them. And we have to be watchful and careful and vigilant. Now, let's consider what are the possible um, moves that will give us into, into anger? What are the possible things and methods and, and, and vehicles that will take us into this place? Well, I want to look at a couple of them. If you go over to Exodus chapter 2, you'll find Moses experiencing one such way in which he became so flustered, so annoyed, so angry, and that is through the, the vehicle of injustice. One of the ways that the enemy utilizes, uh, things that he utilizes in our lives, the ways that he gets us to, to jump into the mode of anger is through injustice. You know, what do you do when you feel like your rights have been violated? What do you do? I don't deserve this. This shouldn't be happening to me. You know what? I have a right to. I, you know, I'm a human being. I, I, I don't deserve this to be happening to me. What do you do when your rights are violated? And Satan loves to take us into these moments because he knows that we'll often take it very personally. When our rights are violated, we get personal. We take it personally. It doesn't matter if the person says, hey, no offense. Uh, yes, offense taken. We take it personal. He loves it when we find ourselves being treated unfairly and inequitably. Why? Because we will run full tilt through the threshold of that door. See, when Moses, it tells us here in chapter 2 of Exodus, verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. What? He's walking about. I can imagine him seriously. He's thinking like, are you, are you kidding me? Is this happening right now? Like, is this really happening? This dude is just beating him down. Like, yes, I'm sure he's the boss. He's, he's the worker, all this other stuff. But he is completely torturing this man. He is beating my fellow countrymen down. How can he be treating him this way? How can he be treating one of my people this way? Hey, we are human beings too. This is an injustice. And in that moment, Moses gets frustrated. He gets angry because the injustice is just too much that he could bear. So he decides to take justice into his own hands. He decides to do something and to take action. And he does something that he regrets for the rest of his life. Moses, in his anger, provoked through injustice, commits murder. He looks around. He doesn't see anybody. He goes and strikes the Egyptian and hides his body among the sand. And we all, we, we, if you don't know the story, some of us do, what happens then is the next day he shows up and people call him out on it. And now he's afraid that Pharaoh himself has known or will find out and Moses will be killed. He will be punished. So Moses flees the land of Egypt. The injustice that he witnessed led him to anger and anger led him to murder. Moses, 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 that was irrational. That was not right. That was not becoming. That was not what you should have done. If you think that you are the savior, you're going to be the deliverer. You're going to do something for your people. Well, you just completely ruined your witness in this moment. For it was his very Hebrew brothers and sisters who said to him, are you going to kill us too when we're arguing? <laughs> It tarnished his reputation. See, injustice will move us into anger, but it's not the only thing. Uh, hurt 
will also move us into anger. Can someone say amen? Unresolved hurt can eventually lead to anger. We've all been victims of it, haven't we? Have you been hurt? Has someone offended you before? If, if you can't say yes, then you haven't lived long enough. If you, have, if you can't say yes, you haven't been in church long enough. Can someone say amen? Someone's going to sit in your pew. Somebody is not going to say hi to you one day. Somebody might say something that might upset you at one point. Somebody in the congregation, your very brother and sister, might vote differently than you do. And it might offend you. It might hurt you. Somebody that you know might choose to solve a problem in a different way than you did, and their choices may have implications and impact you. We know that this is the case at home, right? We can have an issue with our kids, with our family members, our brothers, our siblings, right? We can, we can deal with all this. At some point in time, we become hurt. And if we allow hurt to live in our lives, to take root in our hearts, then hurt can lead us to anger. If we leave it unaddressed, what does it do? It starts running across our mind. It starts, you know... Uh, bombarding us and all we can see is that if we don't let go of unresolved hurt it's going to tinge our interactions it's going to permeate our 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 communication it's going to come across and flow out and overflow and eventually it becomes full-blown hostility Consider Jonah, Jonah in chapter 3. If you go to Jonah, chapter 3. Jonah, who's called of God to go preach the gospel to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians. He is called to be a prophet and speak God's word of promise and redemption and all of these things. And yet when God tells him to go east, Jonah gets in a boat and goes west. He leaves. He tries to go to Tarsus, which is over there by Spain. As opposed to going further east to go speak to the Assyrians. Jonah is a person who understands God's will, who understands God's character, who is aware of God's promise and his message, who feels a burden to go preach the gospel, but he gets offended and he gets hurt because God decides to do something differently than what he had in mind. See, God called him to go preach. And Jonah says, well, God, if I go and preach to these people who are hurting our people, they are very torturous, these Assyrians. These guys are very mean. These guys, you know, put hooks and bits in people's noses and ears. And, and they are leading our people into slavery. And I know, God, that these people are not at the prime of their power they're going to continue being a nuisance to our people. But God, if I go to there and I, pre I preach your word and I speak to them about the coming judgment that you've proclaimed if, we don't if they don't accept you, if I preach this gospel, God, I know that you're abounding in love, slow to anger, that you're going to release them from the punishment that is due to them. You are going to forgive them and give them grace. So I don't want to go. And he goes the other way. Well, God brings him. He goes and he preaches. And when he preaches, God incredibly gets a hold of these people. It could be a logical next step for them, right? Are we going to experience judgment and be wiped out? Or should we repent and try to appease this God and say, we repent and we're going to change our ways? 
These people accept. Imagine if we had an outdoor service here in Wayland and then all of the city, all of Framingham accepted Jesus Christ. Imagine if we had one service and the entire community is changed and they repent and they say, Lord, we want you instead. We renounce these wickedness, wicked ways that we have. We want to follow after you, Jesus. Wouldn't we be jumping for joy? There would be, you know, Christianity Today would be writing articles on, on that meeting. You know, we would be seeing testimonials flaring all over social media and TikTok and Instagram. We'd be seeing posts everywhere. We would be seeing people jump for joy, but yet here we find Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3, and it flows over to chapter 4, Jonah is absolutely angry. He's angry. God, I knew that you would do this and you've done it. Now, God, let me die. I wish that you had killed me. Kind of sounds like Isaiah after he encountered some tensions and frustrations with uh, Jezebel and Ahab and all of that. Here's a man who feels hurt that God did something different. He feels hurt. And he goes and moves into anger. And in his anger, he asks God for something irrational. Anger will lead us to do irrational things, to say irrational things, to want irrational things. This was a moment that he should have been celebrating, yet his hurt led him to act in such a way. It was foolish. Not only that, do we, find, uh, we also find that frustration which is closely linked to both of these, but frustration often leads people to anger. And that is when simply something doesn't happen the way that we want it to happen. If we don't get something the way we want it to happen, just like Jonah, but I see it also in the life of Cain. If you look at Cain, here's a man who wanted to experience something. At some point in time, Cain in Genesis um, chapter 4, he decided he's compelled to bring an offering to God. So he decides, I'm going to take what I have worked in the land. I'm going to bring a grain offering to God. I'm going to worship the Lord. And he brings that out to God and somehow his offering is not acceptable. His offering does not meet the mark. His offering, there's something that's there. And we could get into the dynamics of, of, of the method, of the offering itself, of his heart. We could get into all of that, but we don't have time. Meanwhile, though, his brother Abel, who was a tender of, of, of sheep and a keeper of flocks, this guy also brings an offering. And God accepts Abel's offering and has favor upon Abel, but not Cain. And the Bible tells us, that Cain in chapter 4 of Genesis gets so angry that he's provoked because of his frustration. He gets angry and he's provoked to commit the first homicide in all of the Bible. See, I can imagine him being frustrated in that moment thinking, why did I even try? Why did I even come and bring something to God? This is dumb. Why did I get it wrong? Man, I'm so silly. Why didn't I figure out what was necessary? What didn't, why didn't I make this right? Something is wrong. He's frustrated and his frustration, God calls him out on it, but it permeates and it persists and so his frustration leads him into anger and in his anger he commits murder. Fear. How many of us have been moved to anger because of fear? Let's be honest. Anger is not something that flares up immediately. Anger is a secondary feeling. There's always something behind it. And fear is a huge thing. We don't want to be vulnerable, do we? 
How many of us love being vulnerable? How many of us love being out of control? How many of us love not being able to call the shots? How many of us love being in the dark and not knowing what is going to happen tomorrow? Who is going to come through for us? What is going to happen in our lives and circumstances? How many of us love that uncertainty? I know I don't. So fear is something that can grab hold of us and take us into a place of anger. If you look at John chapter 11, and you look at the story of, of Lazarus, when Lazarus, Jesus perceived that something was going to happen, he was going to do a miracle, he had something in mind in John chapter 11. He gets the news that Lazarus is sick by Mary and Martha, his sisters. They send for Jesus, come, the one you love is sick, come help us, heal him, all of these things. Yet Jesus delays, he tarries because he has a plan. Jesus already has a decision that he's made that he knows he's going to wait until there's absolutely no more chance that they will misconstrue this whatsoever and raise Lazarus from the dead. But when he arrives there in Bethany in John chapter 11, it is fear that causes the sisters to approach Jesus the way they did. This is how they approach him, both Mary and Martha. When Jesus finally shows up, Lord, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Frustration, hurt, but fear. It's not like the day today. They were living in a time that was much different than ours. What are these two women going to do? We don't know if they were widowed or if these ladies had never been married. But Lazarus was their brother. Lazarus was the man of the house. Lazarus was their source of provision. It was their sustenance. It was their family. Not only are they grieving, they're in pain. They're hurting because they are emotionally now without their brother. It hurts. They're never going to see him again. They are longing for him. They're going to miss him. It pains them to not have them there but not only that they're afraid of their future who's going to provide for us now who's going to take care of us now where is our sustenance going to come from what is it is going to happen to us within this society what will become of us as a family what is going to happen to the family estate what is going to happen what 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 fear grips them and when they encounter jesus the very first thing jesus if you had been here my brother would not have been dead anger comes out of them fear frustration pain all of these things bring us to a place of anger the enemy is watching how you treat and how you deal with each and every one of those he is watching the tapes at the moments where you have encountered such things and realizing which ones work the best in order to get you to jump off the deep end into anger. So, we've talked a little bit about where it comes from, how we're moved to it, but how do we deal with it? Look around this world, look around the church, look around at your own life and family. How have you processed your anger? How do you deal with it? One of the ways that people often deal with anger is, one, by rehearsing it. 
we start rehearsing it. We go through it again and again. This is one of the worst ways that we could deal with anger. We go ahead and pick up the popcorn, sit down, and, and, and lay down on that lazy chair, and we start rehearsing it again and again. She said that, yeah, and she said that. She had the audacity to say this to me. And then he did this. I cannot believe he did this. Oh, man, when he said that, I should have said this. And we start rehearsing all of the moments that we are angry and frustrated, and we start seeing where we were wrong. We replay the tapes to try to come up with new schemes and how we can belittle the person the next time we're next to them. We, our anger starts growing, and we only start fixating ourselves on our own issue and pain, and we get further and further away from the, the humanity within us all. We get further and further away from the truth of what the situation actually called for. We lose sight of how we contributed to the situation or not, and we get fixed on the problem, and further and further away, we drift from the solution. We could rehearse it, but also, here's something that a lot of us, especially us introverted people, love to do. We repress it. How many introverts here say, amen? You're not going to go out there and, uh, and just, you know, go to war, but you, you take that and you say, you know, let me shove that thing down deep. Let me just repress it. You know, uh, are, you, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Friends, if you hear that statement, I'm fine after a fight, after an issue, after a disagreement, uh, something didn't work out right, you, you see that that character, that disposition is not there, it's not the same thing, and you hear, I'm fine, yeah, yeah it's not fine. There's a problem. But repressing it we we go ahead and take it and we stuff it deep we ignore it we we pretend it's not there and we go ahead and allow it to just go deep within us but hey it doesn't take a doctor to tell you that if we hold on to things certain things need to be let go there are certain things that we can't keep within us it becomes toxic how many of us, we don't have to get graphic or think about it here, but I am grateful that there is something called a bathroom. I am grateful that there are restrooms where we can go and relieve ourselves. Because if we didn't, there would be a problem. God so masterfully designed the human body that we can draw sustenance from the food we eat and the and things we drink. And we can get the nutrients while our body will take over the nutrients and process it and, and distribute it all throughout our bodies, giving us the sustenance that we need. Our body also knows that the waste has to go. And it gets rid of the waste. It does not take a doctor to tell you that toxins within your body can be deadly. And here's the problem. When we repress our anger and our frustration, what happens is we are just basically drinking poison and allowing it to percolate and soothe. We are allowing the bitter root to take hold and the enemy to wreak havoc within our lives. Watch out that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many, is what the word says. So you can rehearse it, you can repress it, but here we go. So many of us, we love this one. We just want to unleash it. This is how we deal with anger. We unleash it. Like the volcano that had it all stuffed in, that was dormant. All of a sudden, we can't take no more, and then boom, the refrigerator gets punched by accident. The email gets fired off, and man, you regret sending that, hitting that send button. You know what? We say something on Facebook that we just should not have said, and now we're trying to figure out, how do I delete it? We unleash our anger, and you know what? Our voices get 
raised. Can we just call it what it is? We start shouting. Don't try to euphemism it. You know, you're shouting. You're yelling. You're getting angry. And you know what? That's not, that's not cool. Sadly, this is when people turn a variety of abusive shades and people get hurt. When we unleash our anger is when people get hurt, bridges get burned, relationships get torched, and life is ruined. So many times. It tarnishes our reputation and it ruins our witness. How many of us have heard of, uh, you know, those folks that like to go to, to funerals and protest? <laughs> Come on, man. I'm not going to say the name of the church, but there's a church out there that, that they do that. They organize such things. They, they want to stand there in the moment if someone's going through something hard and they want to go tell them, well, you know what? They did what was wrong. They're going to hell. Ugh. You know, these moments when you unleash your anger, you unleash your frustration, your pain, your fury, and you direct it towards a person, then that is a place that you don't want to be because it ruins, it breaks things down, it makes things worse. Here's another way that we can deal with our anger. Replace it. The Bible teaches us that we are to replace our anger as opposed to repressing it, as opposed to unleashing it, as opposed to rehearsing it again and again. We're supposed to replace it. It's the best way that we can deal with it. We have to look at it head on and experience it for what it is and look at it for what it is and talk about it honestly. It's supposed to be something that we don't ignore, that we don't excuse, that we don't just sweep under the rug, that we don't let get a pass. Paul said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. Go... Uh, along with any form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you, Ephesians 4. We're supposed to replace it with what? With kindness, with compassion, with forgiveness. Paul tells us to replace it. And the best way that I know how to replace anger is to take it to God. Did you know that you could take anger to God? Go to Psalms 109. We, we look at the Psalms and we say, hey, you know what? Uh, he is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me down tranquil waters. We look at the Psalms and says, where, where will my help come from? It comes from on high. He who abides in the shelter of the Most High will, will, you know, all of these wonderful things we see in the Psalms. But can you look at Psalms 109? Because here's what David did. When he got angry, he went into his prayer closet, he went out to his car, he got away from his family, he, he got away from the situation. Instead of letting the, the volcano spew out lava on the people and the circumstances of his life, he decided to go to God and he just unleashed it before the Lord. Some of us, we need to go to our prayer closet in our cars and we need to start talking to God. Look at what David did, and he did it on several occasions. Psalms 109 he goes on to say, look at verse 8. He's talking about a person who's made him angry, somebody who is actually causing pain, frustration, irritation, who is actually causing fear in his life, who's bringing all of these things in the circumstances of his reality. And so look at what he says. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless. May his wife be a widow. Hello. May his children be wandering beggars. 
May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out to the very next generation. Uh, Hello, is this prayer in the Bible? Hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Yeah, let me teach you how to pray. When someone pisses you off, just wish them dead. That's not how Jesus taught us to pray. Yet here is the psalm. David is praying all of these things and he's spewing his anger before the Lord. But the point is that David brought his anger to God. Amen? He brought his anger to a God that perfectly knew him, a God that perfectly saw his circumstance, a God who was always hearing him, a God who is always speaking. He brought it before God, and he experienced God's faithfulness because here's what happens. The interesting thing, as David is spewing out his anger before God in his prayer closet, one-on-one, he's not allowing it to come before the people that he loves. He's not unleashing it on his spouse, on his children, on his family. He is pouring it out to God. And as he does this, look at what happens. As a result, he goes on to say this. I am poor and needy, God, verse 22. My heart is full of pain. The more David spewed out his anger and his frustration, the more he became vulnerable before God, the more God started shifting his perspective so that he could understand what was truly behind his anger. And that's what God does in the realm of prayer. As we come to him and pray, as we come and depend upon God and seek his face, God starts shifting our perspective from our injustices and our pain and our fears and our worries, and he starts putting it back on the reality of the situation that we're hurting in need of a savior, that we're in need of our loving father to come through and help us in the middle of a circumstance. And as he unleashed it before God, look at the results. He goes on to say in verse 30, 31, I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone, for he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. As David prayed, his perspective changed and it turned his frustration into praise. We need to replace our anger, church. You're frustrated at what's happening around you. Start praying. You need to go to God that he will deal with it. Yes, you need to be equipped. You need to take action in your world. No doubt about it. You need to do something about your situation and try to mend the bridges and solve the problems and seek the counseling and and go after the people and humble yourself and all these different things. But without God changing the heart of man, you can do no such thing. If God cannot take that bitter root from within you because nobody can search the spirit if not the spirit of God. Nobody can change the heart if not God stepping in through his Holy Spirit ministering to us. No root of anger will be removed if not for him moving upon our hearts. Step into your prayer closet. Go out into your car. Get before nature. I don't know. Do what you need to do. But bring your anger before God because he knows it all anyways. He sees it completely and he is the one who created it in the first place. See, Jesus got angry but he didn't sin. He brought his righteous indignation. And so many times we are masking righteous indignation, what really is anger. And we're just allowing ourselves, the past, to feel righteously indignant. But it's really not that. It's truly unprocessed pain, frustration, repression, and all of these other things. So how does God calm the angry? How does God do it? He does it through forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
Some of us don't like this word. Jesus taught forgiveness. He told the disciples when they did ask him, how do we pray, Jesus? He said, hey, pray like this. And one of the things he included was, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. See, if you want to be forgiven, you got to first forgive. If you want to experience anger diffusing and coming off of your body, you need to allow other people the opportunity to be forgiven. You need to allow change to come in through the process of forgiveness. See, Jesus not only taught us that, but he modeled it. He came down from heaven, emptied himself, became a man, righteous, no sin, yet he is beaten, humiliated, chastised, maligned, misconstrued, all of these other things, and he is put on a cross, crucified. And on that cross, yeah, I hate this man. I hate that woman. You guys all deserve to die and burn in hell. No, he says, Lord, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus modeled it for us. So don't tell me it's hard. Yeah, I know it's hard. He's done it. He had it harder than you or I. And yet he did it no matter what, and he showed us that is the way we have to learn to forgive. Jesus, not only does he teach it, he models it, but then he says, hey, let me give you the power to do so. Wait in Jerusalem from the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth, the one who will endue you with power to be my witnesses. He will be the advocate, the power, the didymus, the, 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 the strength that you need for you to be able to do that which you have to do that is hard to do. Anybody here ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? She uh, and her family, they used to help uh, the, the folks that were fleeing the Nazi concentration camps, the Jews in Europe. And so she had a place in their home that they would hide people. And once the Nazis found out that this was happening, they came through and they imprisoned all of her family. And Cory Ten Boom ended up in a concentration camp. Miraculously, she survived. But she tells a story that one day when she was in a church service... She was there, she meets face-to-face one of the SS Nazi guards that used to guard her camp. And she started rehearsing as this man approached her to shake her hand. She started rehearsing all the pain and the torture that he had caused to her and her family. And in that moment, she felt the seething anger. And she is experiencing all of this and remembering all of these things. And she gets a gut check from the Holy Spirit to forgive this man. She often speaks and she says this, I've spoken about forgiving others. I know the need to do it. But in that moment, I felt like I had no strength to do so. When he tells us to love our enemies, God gives us, along with the command, the very love itself. See, God, through his Holy Spirit, when he came to abide in us, he not only tells us what we should do, he not only models what it is that we need to do, but he comes and brings the very thing that we need. If we are going to release our anger, we need to forgive, and the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us do it. Amen? I've gone way too long, but I'm going to wrap it up. I'll invite the team to come on up here. Forgiveness is possible for those who are in Christ Jesus. Since God chose to be the holy, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, this is Paul speaking to the Colossians, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
My question for you this morning is, where are you throwing your darts? Where are you? Where are you hurling your insults? Where are you tossing your anger? Where are you directing it? Who gets it? For some of us, I know this is small. I wanted to print it big, but it didn't work out. Some of us, if you can see this, we hurl our darts at the very frustrated, road rage-filled person who pretty much ran us off the road and almost cost my car or my family their lives. So we get really angry and we start launching our darts and we start throwing it at these people. For some of us, it might not be the frustrated road rage person but it's the neighbor, that neighbor that just annoys, every, he pushes every little button that you have. He makes sure that he lets his trees, leaves, you know, just come off into your yard. And he lets the debris and the trash, and so you launch your, your insults at your neighbor. You get upset and frustrated, and you declare your hostility towards them. Some of us, are we, are we just throwing our insults and hurling it at that homewrecker that came and entertained an affair with your spouse. Or for you, maybe it's the very spouse itself. You're taking your darts that are falling apart and you're launching it at them. You're taking it and you're throwing it at the one that you're sharing a bed with. Or maybe for some of us, if we care to admit it, it's that child that we have, that in those moments that we're declaring in our frustration, our pain, our anger, our, our injustice, something has happened, something is not right, we're taking that and we're throwing it at them. But let me just tell you, what you've done to the least of these, you've also done unto me. What you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. The ones who bear the image and likeness of our King, of our Lord and our God, we're throwing the darts. We're unleashing the frustration. And yet behind it all is Jesus Christ. What you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. Today, I don't know what's making you angry, what's making you frustrated. I don't know what it is that is causing you to fly off the handle, you alone know. But I invite you to consider it this morning. And I wanna invite you to come and spend some time with the Lord in prayer. You could do it right there in your seat. You could do it at this altar. But I think that the enemy has played way too long in the arena of our lives, leading us to anger and frustration, burning bridges, canceling people, and causing havoc in the lives of those that Jesus Christ said, I have poured out my life's blood for you. If Jesus could forgive from the cross, who are we to not let it flow freely from our hearts? Forgiveness can only be experienced if we give it. So will you stand with me this morning?
Father, I don't know who this message is for today. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have the power to remove every bitter root. And I believe, Lord God, that you change people. That you remove, Lord God, that which is so ingrained and so rooted. You transform hearts. Father, if we have been comfortable, complacent, excusing our anger in our words, excusing the shouting matches that happen within our homes, Lord God, the thoughts that fly through our minds as we wish ill intent upon someone else because they have crossed us in a way that we did not desire. God, I pray that forgiveness would flood our hearts today. That, Lord, you would forgive us for acting so foolishly and irrationally. And, Lord, help us to mend the bridges and, Lord God, renew the relationships and change our character. And, Lord God, shift our speech and our attitudes and our actions. Lord, we want to be known as those who are abounding in love and not, Lord God, tearing everyone down. A gift of the Spirit is not the ability to tear new holes and break down people. But a gift of the Spirit is to, Lord God, uphold, to lift up, to edify, to build up, to, Lord God, encourage. So, Father, I pray right now that you would go deep inside a heart where only you can touch. I pray that today husbands are asking for forgiveness to wives and wives are asking husbands for forgiveness. Children are approaching parents and loved ones, siblings and teachers. I thank you, Lord God, that colleagues are mending what is broken. I thank you, Father, that the animosity between boss and employee is being, Lord God, renewed and restored. Father, we call upon your change to come into our lives. Help us, Father, to really look and what's truly motivating our pain, our frustration, our injustice, our, our anger, our worry, our fear. Father, I pray, help us to take all of these things into your presence. In Jesus' mighty name.